This is the Bulls Talk Podcast. I'm Casey Johnson, joined today by my NBC Sports Chicago teammates, Tony Gill and Rob Schaefer. Coming up on the show, Rob, Tony, and I will address the lingering question marks surrounding Lonzo Ball's knee injury. We will also explore DeAndre Ayton's future. Is it in Phoenix? Could it be in Chicago? And we'll give our predictions on the conference finals. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome into another edition of the Bulls Talk Podcast here on a Monday afternoon in a beautiful day in Chicago with my NBC Sports Chicago teammates, Tony Gill and Rob Schaefer. What's up, guys? How you doing today? Good. I miss Rob. <laughs> you miss Rob? Yeah. So I, would, I would say I miss Rob, but he and I played tennis last week, and he's 30 years younger than me, so I don't miss him at all. He, he ran me all over the uh, – You want to show him uh, You want to show him your uh, battle scars, Casey, the YouTube audience? You I, don't bleed. I don't bleed, so I have no battle scars. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Casey, Casey made a, uh, a diving attempt at a ball. You, you got it back um, on a nice charge. And I joked, he, he, you really went down. Like, you were on the ground. Um, I made sure I made the winner uh, before I checked on you, but then uh, turns out you were okay. And as I said, as it should be, you should always go for the shot before the welfare of a, another opponent. So, yeah. but that, that that also should give you a little window window into my mindset that at uh, 55 years old, I'm still diving for balls on tennis courts. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was no. The, I I saw the uh, I saw what the Beloit fans of uh, whatever year it was that you were, that you were playing there. I, I saw what those people must've glommed onto when you were such a fan favorite uh, during your college days. So I saw that competitive streak. All right, let's get into some real conversation. <laughs> silly talk. Uh, actually, this is kind of silly talk. Just joking cap. You're, you're my team at NBC sports Chicago, but on his other gig at, uh, over there at uh, ESPN 1000, uh, he was on uh, this morning with uh, his buddy, Jay Hood, uh, our buddy, too, Jay Hood. Okay, so I'm going to discuss something with you that I said in the previous segment. Yeah. I kind of glossed over it because I'm still waiting on a little more intel. I am hearing that there are serious concerns within the front office of the Chicago Bulls that Lonzo Ball's knee is not getting better. Not mm-hmm. getting better. Like, if they... Okay, so they've been out for how long? Two weeks? Yeah. He couldn't play in that series. That's right. If they were starting the Eastern Conference Finals Tuesday... He couldn't play. He could not play. Yeah. Oh, it's serious. They are having real concerns of why he still has pain anytime he tries to ramp it up. And if he can't ramp it up in practices or in workouts to get himself where he needs to be then how the H is he going to be able to be healthy for an 82-game season? Mm-hmm. This is a serious problem. Sure it is. and But you'll get more confirmation on his status moving forward, right? Yes. Yeah. But 
I am hearing there is serious concern over there, and it will color how they address their offseason. Because do they re-sign Zach? Do they not re-sign him? Mm -hmm. Do they trade Vooch? Hold on a second. It all falls by the wayside if you don't have a point guard. You have to have a point guard. Yeah. And you committed $80 million to this guy. And now he hurts his knee. So there is a lot of soul searching going on right now and medical tests and everything to make sure that they can get this guy right by October. Well, you heard what he said. He, he, he said that there's serious concern within the, uh, the uh, Bulls organization about uh, Lonzo Ball's knee. Um, prompted me to make a call to make sure I wasn't missing anything. I mean, anything hadn't developed in the, in the two weeks since we heard that same concern outlined on, uh, on exit interview day. And look, I mean, the dude has been out since January. So yes, there's concern, but uh, I don't think this is leading to another surgery. I could be wrong. Um, as of today, I should say it's not from what I'm told it's not leading to another surgery and it's a bone bruise. So it needs rest. And what I checking the calendar here, they have what, five months till their next organized activity. So we'll see. I mean, it's clearly not a great situation, but uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on it overall? Yeah, I thought it kind of lined up with the tone. Now, obviously, public messaging and things that you hear in press conferences are going to be different than what you hear through back channels. But Arturis and Billy both said in their end-of-season comments that they were concerned about it, the Lonzo situation. Lonzo said as much, and I think the root of what continues to be concerning about the issue is that there still isn't a ton of clarity other than the bone bruise thing that you mentioned on what exactly is wrong and how it gets better. Uh, because, you know, this obviously exacerbated the six to eight week injury timeline to the point that when the Bulls were done playing late April, early May, Lonzo had already been ruled out. And, you know, say they even advanced beyond um, the, you know, the first round. It, it, it didn't sound like something where, oh yeah, you know, he just is taking another week or two off and then we're optimistic. Like, no, he was, he was shut down um, effectively. So that was always concerning. The thing that I'm kind of waiting on before I jump beyond that point is the report back from his uh, date with that knee specialist that was, you know, supposed to happen pretty soon after the season. Once the report comes out on that, hopefully Lonzo and the Bulls and and the public and fans uh, will have a little bit more clarity on his issue. But the mysterious nature of the bone bruise thing, the fact that, you know, not only is this the second MCL tear and MCL surgery of his career, I mentioned this in his player review pod. Um, that meniscus tear, not MCL tear. Sorry, meniscus. Uh, yeah, my brain melted there for a second. Uh, meniscus. Um, not only is that a recurring issue in that knee, um, you've also got uh, the issue of the bone bruise in his second season with the Lakers. He had a bone bruise issue with, a, with an ankle sprain. Um, now he's having an issue with that again. So concerning, especially because of how valuable Lonzo is at both ends for the Bulls. But like you said, Casey, you just have to hope that with four or five months until camp that uh, they can figure it out at some point this offseason. And he can enter next year with a clean slate. Uh, but it's no doubt unsettling that we don't really have an assurance that that is going to be 100% possible yet. Tony, what are your thoughts on it? Um, you know, I'm not too shocked or surprised uh, by anything about, you know, what happened to, you know, Lonzo. Um, I think that I'm thinking more long-term, you know, will he be healthy enough when – Again, a lot of things have to go right, but considering his contract situation, he's in the window. Like, 
will he be healthy enough when it's actually for real winning time, when the pressure is like, okay, now you guys need to start doing real things. Um, and I think he, it, according to that timeline, which is kind of like a pullback view, mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty confident that he'll be healthy enough at that point. Uh, what I'm not confident enough in is that he will be available to play most regular season games. That's what I'm not counting on. I'm hoping that a change of perspective would be like a presence, a pleasant surprise if he does make it through a full regular season. I would rather that than expecting a a chunk of regular season games from Lonzo because he just hasn't done that in his career. So um, long-term view, I'm pretty optimistic that he'll be okay when there's actual winning if Zach stays. Um, but yeah, like for a regular season where, you know, we haven't seen him play more than, I think, what's the number, Rob? 60 games, 60 plus Yeah, games. over 60 once. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just don't have a, I don't have a context for him doing that because he's never done it at the pro level. Yeah. Which, that, 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 no, that'll be an interesting thing to track. Like, assuming he can be back healthy at the start of next season, like, is there a load management, you know, protocol that the Bulls have to think about, you know, constructing with, Lonzo and what concerns me about that is the Bulls are not built right now I mean a lot can change this offseason to be the type of team that you know prioritizes load management is okay we got to be healthy but like they were all in on the regular season this year because they wanted to make those improvements and really like we saw the perils of when injuries struck and they slipped in the standings like that doomed them in terms of like finding the right playoff matchup because there's still a team that like needs the right matchups to to progress in the way that they Want to. So, that, yeah, that, that's an interesting point, Tony, that I hadn't really considered. Maybe that will be something that the Bulls have to take into account with Lonzo moving forward. Well, and that's actually, to me, the the, the most uh, intriguing element to, to Cap pontificating about it today on, on ESPN 1000 was that was really, to me, the only new thing. Was he said it was going to color and mm-hmm. shape their offseason thinking to the, the level of concern about his knee is going to color and shape their offseason thinking. I mean, you know. They're, they're deep at guard. Uh, they don't really have a true point guard behind Lonzo, as we as we saw. But they are deep at guard. Does this, does this have ramifications for Kobe White's future in terms of more positively bringing keeping him here? I, I don't know the answer to that. And I, I don't even know if that's true. I mean, here's the thing. The one thing I will say is my understanding is going into the visit with the specialist is the meniscus surgery was fine. It's the bone bruise that's yeah. bedeviling everybody. And we all know the, the the way a bone bruise heals is with rest and treatment, right? So they've got five months off. So again, I, I don't. Maybe there's something that I'm missing here, but I, my sense is that he's going to be ready by next training camp. Um, and certainly, you could. We we're all there. His frustration, Lonzo's frustration with the situation was palpable. In fact, we've talked on this very podcast about. I thought that was one of the most raw and revealing media moments he had all season, if not the most, because he's a guy who's very cooperative with the media, but doesn't really share a lot. And I thought in that exit interview meeting with us, he was very vulnerable about how much it bothered him that he was not able to be there in Tony's terms uh, for winning time. So, um, you know, it was clearly a priority for him to get right this off season. They have five months to do so. I expect that to happen, but I've been, you know, wrong before. So we'll see how it plays out. I got a question. You said you were intrigued by it may color their view on how they view the offseason. What, what what does that mean um, in, in your interpretation of that phrasing, Casey? 
Well, I, I was intrigued by it because that's the only new element to it that, that Cap introduced on the on the airwaves. So I always look. I'm a I'm a news guy, so I always look for like news, right? So that to me, if that's what, and in Cap's pontificating, he was basically intimating that the concern level of over Lonzo Ball's knee is is such that it's going to drive the Bulls' offseason thinking or color their offseason thinking, I should say. Um, that's intriguing to me if that's true, uh, because that means to me that they're going to address the point guard position. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they do that via the draft or free agency or, or what have you. Um, and it also, to me, the way I read it is uh, they either mean that, that, that they don't think Kobe White's a point guard or they have plans to make him more of a point guard this summer as a backup option. I, I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can go with that. No, in a lot of ways, it will, it will kind of be a referendum on Kobe to a degree. How I mean, anything that they did in terms of his future was going to be that. But I agree, Casey, there, there are two sides to that coin. One, you could say, all right, well, all the analysis of, well, the Bulls are so deep in the guard department, all of that analysis, one, relies on Zach Levine resigning, which is not yeah. 100% yet. And two, the team being healthy, which, you know, you saw it last season. The Bulls guard room was deep and talented and incredible until it wasn't. And then for, you know, starting in January on, uh, it wasn't. And, you know, the contributions guys like Kobe and Io, uh, you know, Caruso when he was in there, Zach when he was in there were um, all the more essential. So I could take that to mean one, yeah, maybe Kobe White is valued moving into next year and is relied on moving into next year or depending on their about their true evaluation of Kobe season, maybe it means, okay, we've tried that out and we need to, like you said, Casey, address the point guard position again. Um, whereas last offseason you were looking for a, you know, bona fide starter, high level starter, which they got for the time that Lonzo was on the court. Now it's, you know, a real steadying presence uh, in a backup capacity because, um, you know, you just saw how much the offense suffered and how much the shooting suffered and just how much the ancillary playmaking around Zach and Damar and Vooch suffered without Lonzo. That's something that they could use in a little bit more stable fashion and consistent fashion. I wouldn't put it past Kobe White to make improvements this offseason to become that type of player. But you certainly can't rule out the fact that they could address it externally. So, man, I'm, uh, that's that that's so specific in what they'd be looking for in the offseason. It's like we need you to be good, but not too good because Lonzo's yeah. kind of our starter. But we still need you to run things. But we also may need you to be backup. Like it's a really specific person that they're looking for. That either they're trying to mold into Kobe, like again, like. I don't want to mess with Kobe, honestly. I think I, I was just going to say, I think the ideal scenario is that Kobe White is that person. That, that's the ideal scenario. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I would hope that he could do that, but I don't want to tweak what he's already kind of grown accustomed to is just being the score guy. And like, I don't know if another offseason of working on something that's not going to matter when, if, or if, you know, Lonzo comes back. Um, like, I just I, – I don't want to mess with what he's going to grow into. Like, at this point in his career, like, how many guys change the style of, of, of their play, like, in that well, manner? Well, but let's be real, though. Like, if, say, the team goes into next season with Kobe as, a, as an estate, like, an important rotation player, he doesn't need to be – say and say Lonzo gets hurt two weeks into the season. Like, he doesn't need to come in and be a quote-unquote true point guard or Lonzo for the team to function well. It would change stylistically the thing. But I think if he's – a better and more consistent defensive player and a more consistent shooter. Like the team is currently constructed works with him at the one spot. It doesn't work in the same way that it would with Lonzo, but he's more than capable. I think as, as a fill in, if he improves consistency in those two kind of key 
areas. Like he didn't mention like what, what were his big kind of improvement areas for for the offseason, Casey, that he mentioned in his um, end of season exit interview um, session. Yeah, it was it was weight training, which he you know thought would help him in the in you know on the defensive end and ball handling, which that helps you whether you're being asked to play a primary facilitator like true point guard role or if you're just being asked to attack closeouts and attack in transition um and things like that so uh yeah it's interesting but it's just like tony to your point like it's such a specific need but it's also not what you would think if you just look at the team on paper you wouldn't you wouldn't want that to be one of the primary things you have to address this offseason because they have to address size they need to get wing shooters um they need to get front court depth like with the limited resources they have you don't want to have to go out of your way to address that point guard position again across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like building grid scale solar energy in ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in texas it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To go get Tyus Jones. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like I, I like me some Tyus Jones. But he's yeah. good. Well, he, he's going to be expensive this summer, by the way. Yeah, and speaking yeah. of expensive options, while we're in the land of uh, off-season uh, fun speculation time, uh, we need to address uh, what's going on in Phoenix because not only was that, as I think we all would agree, one of the more shocking. Um, I was going to say shocking game sevens, but really you could say shocking any playoff game mm-hmm. uh, for a 60 win team to be facing an elimination game at home and to be trailing by what the, it got to what? 47. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Something like that. It was just, I think we'd all agree it was one of the more amazing developments we've ever seen. And I've been around this league a long time and you guys have watched a lot of games also. I mean, that was just shocking and it's already bringing into question you know, a storyline that was already going to be a storyline this offseason, that's his future of DeAndre Ayton. I do need to read one quote before I kick it to Tony. Uh, today, this is Monty Williams at exit meetings in Phoenix after playing him only 17 minutes. Oof. And in the postgame scenario, saying that was an internal uh, – or was it personal or internal? What was Inter- the internal was the word. Yeah, yeah, internal was the word. That was how they framed it postgame. And then today – with a full, you know, night's sleep to reflect in the exit meetings, Monty Williams said this about DeAndre Aiden's future. DeAndre's situation is something that we'll deal with this summer. I don't want to say anything in regards to that. James and I are going to have conversations about the team in general. James, of course, being the head of basketball operations, James Jones in Phoenix. So, man, already heading into restricted free agency, DeAndre Aiden's future is going to be in the rumor mill for a while. Uh we have Rob on, of course, to to put on the uh, the uh, the numbers crunching hat and uh, do the math. But let's just start here. DeAndre Ayton or Nikola Vucevic, who do you want on your team next year, Tony Gill? Ooh, oh man, that is. Um, we'll, 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 we'll figure out the math later. We're just talking about whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, if this if math doesn't if math isn't in this equation, I think it's a pretty easy answer for me at least. It's not as easy as you might think, and here's here's why. Obviously, the 
upside and the talent and the athleticism uh, and the defensive prowess is is all leaning Aiden. But the intangibles is what I worried about. If he doesn't have a general Paul S figure that is going to monitor him, that is going to stay on him, that seems to have worked for him uh, in Phoenix. If he's left to his own devices with a lot of money, I don't know if I can trust him to be that guy um, that they need him to be. Uh, he, he just doesn't hasn't shown that maturity level outside of having that guy in Chris Paul that's going to be on him every game, every minute. Like, you know, if it goes bad, is he going to disengage? Who, out of the leaders that the Bulls have in terms of who they, we think will be leaders in terms of Chris, uh, Chris Paul, in terms of uh, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, who's going to be that guy, that vocal guy to bring him in to help hold him accountable? I don't think the Bulls structure-wise are able to do that. In that case, I might as well keep Nikola Vucevic in, in that matter and then see what happens, you know, after that. But that is my biggest concern. But obviously, for basketball sake, it's Aiden. I would rather have Aiden. But I'm not going to lie. That other stuff scares me. And I think that's what was coming out in Monty Williams's comments. Is like if Chris Paul isn't here, I don't know what DeAndre Ayton is gonna is liable to do on a basketball court. He's not gonna like you know do anything bad or anything. He's not a bad person or anything like that. But when you are paying a guy a number one overall pick, you expect a certain type of leadership, a certain type of manner for that guy to be to lead a franchise. I don't know if Ayton is that guy personality wise. So with all those things being said, yeah, I I don't know. It scares me. Yeah, I I don't know. Obviously, I don't know DeAndre Ayton, and none. This whole situation right now is co- completely nebulous and mysterious. Like, I don't know what happened between him and Monty Williams. I don't know why he only played 17 minutes in uh, a game seven on their home floor that the entire team just appeared to completely melt down uh, in. Uh, I don't like the fact that it's still ongoing. Like you said, Casey, into today with that quote, I definitely have more questions about DeAndre Ayton in the vein that you're talking about, Tony, than I did yesterday <laughs> much less a week or two ago um or, or you know at the start of the playoffs or certainly like by the end of the postseason last year after he had he was such a big part of their run to being within two games of a championship that said basketball wise i mean like this isn't even a conversation like he's Aiden is obviously younger obviously if the bulls you know we're, we're talking in you know fairy tale land like if they were to have him locked up long term whatever you think of the um, you know, specifics of, is he going to be overpaid? If it's a max contract, if it's a little bit under a max contract, is that a little bit of an overpay? You know, regardless of the, the specific math stuff there, his youth, the upside, the way that he could bridge to kind of a longer term core with this Bulls team, um, the athleticism, the defensive versatility, he can play, he can anchor a multitude of different schemes. I think he's got some untapped offensive potential. He's got a little bit of a face-up game, a post-up game, uh, really dynamic role threat. Um, so I, I just, I just think he's a great player. I I just, am really a fan of his. I think he's exactly the type of versatile defensive minded, but with offensive utility center that this bulls team could use to take it to the next level. And he would again, offer a lot of upside, you know, in a long term, from a long-term perspective. Um, obviously he wouldn't quite be the scorer than Cole Vucevic is or the floor spacer theoretically. Um, but I, I mean, I think, I think I've said this on the pod. We talked about Aiden at, you know, briefly on the podcast before. And I said that, you know, 
it would be a complete pipe dream. But if he was, if there was even a chance, he would be at the top of my um, whiteboard in terms of people I'd be looking at for the Bulls. Uh, but that said, like all the questions, like when you have this type of um, you know controversy around a playoff series that they were expected to win, you know, I probably you should you could still say had the better team in that series, but you know, the, the Mavericks were just significantly, obviously better prepared. Um, they probably had the best player in the series in Luca, of course. Um, but the fact that it ended so disastrously, obviously, you know, if I was running a team and was going to pursue DeAndre Ayton, I would do a lot of back channel work to find out what exactly happened there. Um, but in a basketball sense, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, big Ayton guy. Um, the problem is, you know, that type of stuff, non-basketball related stuff leaks in. And then there's obviously like the financial, like making the math work stuff, which I don't know if we need to get into completely here, Casey, because it is so far off in terms of being a hypothetical possibility. Um, but it is fun to talk about the basketball side of it. Cause I just think the fit, I think the fit would personally just be outstanding. Um, that type of, that type of player. Well, the only thing we need to mention in terms of the financial aspect is it, and this will probably bore some listeners, but it is, is that he would be, uh, in the, in a situation called a base year compensation, uh, if he were signed and traded, uh, which would mean that um, usually uh, salaries have to match within 120% uh, for a trade to work. Um, and in his situation, Phoenix would only would, because of the base year compensation would only be allowed to take 50% back of his salary. Um, so his outgoing number is not what you are hitting. It, it's half of that. If that makes sense. Am I describing that well, Rob? I think you pretty much did it. Yeah. So, it would, you know, you would have to salary match in the neighborhood of um, what would it be? It'd be like 15, rough, we're talking roughly approximations here, 15 of the 30 mil that would be his. Right. Because that's on a max. That's on a max. Yeah. Because just yeah, playing this out, his max would be five years, 175 million with a starting number of 30. Um, so, for the trade purposes, because he's base here, Phoenix can only take $15 million back of that Alcorn salary, which is not usually how trades work. So yeah. um, that's the only financial component while we're describing this pipe dream. What I would, what I would say is um, when you say the back channel work, it is fitting that we're taping this on the week when the entire league descends upon <laughs> Chicago, yeah. the uh, draft combine. So there will be quite a few backroom conversations happening this very week as executives also grill the stars of tomorrow but they also will be grilling themselves over highly priced uh, comped meals charged back to their, uh, to their ownership group. Uh, uh, so there's going to be, this is a week where, you know, the sausage is made. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of talks happen and things like that. So we're all, we're speculating on Aiden's future, but look, it just also shows you the precarious nature of sports. Like if Phoenix, you know, they're, they're the prohibitive favorite to get back to the finals and a lot of people were picking to win the whole thing. If they do that, you know, you have probably Robert Sarver on uh, national TV in the locker room being sprayed by champagne, talking about how, of course, we're going to resign DeAndre. And, you know, I mean, that's just how sports work. And now, after round two, suddenly Chris Paul's future is in question. DeAndre's future is in question. That's just the, the precarious nature of sports and championship windows. Because because every time we've talked about the Aiton thing, right? It's always been a well, you know. It, We're gonna it win it all. Happen, but what if the Celtics or uh, sorry, the Celtics? What if the Suns just completely melted down in like round two or something? <laughs> that, that would be so absurd. But then you know it's the NBA playoffs. Stuff, stuff happens, and uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, man, these quotes are just ominous coming out of Phoenix right now. It's, what a what a fall from grace over. I mean, really, Game Five they blew out Dallas in Phoenix, and it was like, okay, you know, it's they they they've they've righted the ship. Um, they're this well-oiled machine that we got to know throughout the course of the regular season and 
man, what a, what a catastrophe. Well, that perfectly leads into uh, a playoff preview as we enter conference finals week. Uh, I've got a lot of series wrong already, so I'm not starting on this one, but we are down to Celtics uh, versus Heat with Heat owning home court advantage and uh, Warriors and Mavericks with Warriors holding home court advantage, which I'm sure they did not expect to have in the conference finals. Uh, Tony, who you got? Let's start in the East. Who who, who you picking? Oh, man, this is so hard. Uh, I mean, it's not hard for me. I, got, I think I'm going to go Boston. Uh, just because they are better defensively overall, uh, if at least just as good as Miami defensively. And Tatum has really stepped in as I'm a top five player in the NBA. And uh, yeah, it's it's my time. And it's crazy. He knocked off Durant. He's knocked off Giannis. Like that, this is going to be the least of the accomplishments in beating my in beating Miami that he's had so far this postseason. Are you dissing um, Jimmy Butler? He's the best player in the playoffs yeah. right now. Yeah, um, no, 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 supporting, no, that's a, that supporting cast is is legit. Like that that yeah. Milwaukee supporting cast by the end was, and it was the Middleton absence. Really yeah, in, in terms of in terms of just the the star matchup. Yeah, I'm just that we're going to write the narrative about he knocked off those two, like the Miami Heat situation won't be as like ah you know here it is but in terms of the teamwork this is probably this is going to be the best overall team that they play so far uh this year but i just can't see them i just can't see them stopping what tatum is doing right now it's it's ridiculous well um boring podcast alert because i already know what rob's picking so we are we are all three going to pick the celtics but i'll just quickly say it is amazing how we're all doing that with Miami being the number one seed and only home court advantage. Now for me, the Lowry hamstring yeah. to the equation. So I was just going to say, yeah, that, that's a pretty significant storyline for me. Um, and I is look, Miami's a great defensive team too. There's no mm-hmm. getting around it. And I think this is going to be an epic defensive series. Um, two incredibly well-coached teams. Um, I'm leaning slightly towards Boston because of the Lowry hamstring situation and because I think the supporting cast, while I'm not dissing Miami's, I think the supporting cast in Boston is a little bit more reliable and a little bit deeper. Yeah, I think um, now for Boston, Marcus Smart apparently had a foot tweak strain situation in game seven yesterday. So his, I think they said he was likely or questionable to play game one. Um, obviously he plays through a ton, but you know, if he's a little hampered, you know, the Robert Williams thing, I think they said he'd be available for the start in the next series, but he didn't play the last few games, of the Milwaukee series. He'd be a big loss. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I think Boston is, like you said, top to bottom, a little bit better of a team. These teams obviously played in the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago in the bubble, and Miami gutted that one out. Um, but I do think these this Celtics team with Tatum going up a level the way that he has, the things that killed or the things that really put Miami over the top in that series were Harrow. That was like Harrow's coming out party, Tyler Harrow. And bam, Adebayo was just dragging Daniel Tice up and down the floor. Now you have Robert Williams, Al Horford for Harrow. You've got obviously smart. You've got Derek white. Um, they're just a, the Celtics are just a better defensive team. They're like an all time defensive team, um, you know, by a lot of metrics now where they weren't necessarily that a few years ago, although there were no slouches. Um, so I, I do think they get over the top uh, in six or seven. Like you said, Casey, it'll be an absolute slugfest similar to the, the Milwaukee series, the Western conference one. I, I, I don't want to keep betting against Luca, man. I, I thought Phoenix was going to take out Dallas. Um, and he's just clearly ascended to 
a complete other level. I think he'll be the best player in that series, even a series that has Steph Curry in it. Um, I think I'm leaning Warriors in seven for that one just because of the breadth of experience and probably, again, like top to bottom, just roster-wise, probably a little bit more talented. But the way that Dallas team plays defense and the level that Luka can go to makes them pretty hard to count out. So I that's I don't see them losing in less than seven. I think that's a seven-game epic series as well. Um, and the overarching point there is just that we're in a pretty good place with these final four teams. And you could have said that with a lot of different combinations, but these four, and especially just the way that the, the two sets of teams match up is going to be incredibly entertaining. Tony, who you got in the West? I got the Warriors, but I do think it's going to be six or seven. Um, I, got, I appreciate Luca taking that next step of trust with his teammates. And that seemed like the, the key that needs to be unlocked uh, with this coaching change and, and, and Jason Kidd. Well, two things. They need to be better defensively. And Luca started needed to start trusting dudes on his team. And Jason Kidd has done both those things for Luca, and they've been magical. It's been great to see. It's been fun to see. Uh, but I think with the it's, – it's fun that they got there, but I think the experience of the Warriors are just going to weigh heavy on the coaching staff and the players, right? Um, Steve Kerr, that group has been there plenty of times. Um, I don't think there's a player that, you know – like Luca is a great player. I, I don't know if they're scared of anything that Luca can do um, defensively. What the Warriors can bring, uh, and they can they can score in waves, you know, as well. So um, I, I do enjoy this matchup. I think it, everything worked out. I think these are the four best teams uh, in the NBA. I do like in terms of health wise right now. I think we're not losing out. We're not going to be guessing. Uh, for anything, I mean, you could maybe with the Bucks. That's but... that's the one. I I think with Middleton, mm-hmm. you know, that Boston series plays out differently. So that that would be the one. But it, you know, injuries are a part of every every playoffs, yeah. unfortunately. But yeah, I'm I'm happy with the Final Four, and I I'm enjoying it, I, and I hope everybody else is enjoying it too. I don't want to oversimplify the West series, but you know, because it's going to be a great matchup, but. It is a make-or-miss league, and both teams rely so much on the three-point shot, and the Dallas has been shooting at such a high level in this postseason and getting huge contributions from a wide variety of sources from beyond the arc. So, obviously, that's going to be a huge component to the series, make-or-miss league. I would probably end up leaning towards the Warriors because of the experience factor you guys mentioned and home court advantage. And, look, here's the other thing. I know Steve Kerr pretty well. I know – that whole franchise is not like looking at it like, oh, wow, we ducked Phoenix, we get Dallas, because Dallas earned that, right? But I will say this, as I said when I set up this series, they were not expecting to host home court advantage for the Western Conference final. This is a huge opportunity. That is a good, yeah. Yeah. And I guarantee you that that's something that they're going to be talking about as a franchise. And it's an opportunity. You got to take advantage of it. So I, I think it's going to be a great series, but I, I'm, I'm going to lean Warriors too. So, unfortunately, we agreed on everything, which means we're probably going to be wrong. Get ready for Dallas-Miami finals. You heard it here first on the Bulls talk. Hey, I, see, and there's the, there's the other component of this. Think of every finals matchup that could possibly come out of this. All of them are fun in their own kind of unique way. Another mm-hmm. Dallas-Miami part three of that finals where they split mm-hmm. the first two in 06. That would be awesome, even though none of the – you know, same principles are still around yeah. <laughs> um, from those two series still would be fun. Celtics warriors 
would be a ton of fun for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, you know, Miami, Golden State, same thing. So, like you said, Tony, the, the top four were, were set up for a, a really fun last month or so of the of the playoffs here. Oh, those mainstays are around. They're just wearing uh, Maverick shooting shirts in the in the stands like Dirk Nowitzki was doing. That was fantastic. He shows up yeah. in game seven in a That's Mavericks cool. t-shirt and jeans, man. That's fantastic. It, just, just what do you expect him to, to, to be wearing? So like Dirk, who is watching game seven, we will be watching the conference finals with interest. And we'll be back at you with another episode later this week. We certainly... Uh, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bulls Talk Podcast, and we'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed the Bulls Talk Podcast. Find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Subscribe if you like the show. Feel free to rate and review us. New episodes are ready for you every Tuesday and Friday morning. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.